Welcome to Take Control of Your Career, where we discuss strategies to get you in the driver's seat of your career. Here's your host, Lauren Herring. Hello, and welcome to Take Control of Your Career. If you are looking to level up in your career, then you are in the right place. Today, we have such a fun conversation planned. My guest is Courtney Begrovich. She is the co-author of Grad to Grown Up. She wrote the book with her dad, Jean Rice, who is the CEO of Rice Cohen International, a global search firm. And she's also a secondary educator and post-secondary mentor and consultant. Courtney, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Great. Well, I'm excited about this conversation. And sidebar, it's a funny situation when I originally came across Courtney and her book, I realized that I'd actually worked with her dad's firm, Rice Cohen International, on a search a number of years ago for an executive at Impact Group. So it's a small it's a small world, and I'm excited that we're able to continue the circle here. Yes, I love that we're connecting this way. Exactly. Okay, so first of all, I love this book. It's called Grad to Grown Up. It's a great story, a broad focus on everything that you really need to know as an adult and learn. And you could read it as a new grad. You could read it as an adult to really make sure that are you thinking about things, life, career, in the right way. I mean, it is about just getting your head on straight, no matter what stage of life you're in, but it's really oriented towards young people and first time workers. So whether that's you and you really want to start your career off right, or maybe you know someone that this would be perfect for, I uh, took a look through it already and it's super readable and fun and it is perfect. I'm actually going to buy a couple copies for some people that I know. So congratulations on writing a much needed book, Courtney. I want to start in a place where I feel like people need to get clarity in their life in the first place. And I feel like there's no better time than early in your career than to focus on goal setting and really thinking about who you are, what you want to be, where you want to go with your life, because I feel like so many of us just kind of float through and then you just take the next opportunity, you take the next opportunity. So talk to us about what you advocate in terms of goal setting for young people. Absolutely. So, I mean, it depends whether you're setting long-term or short-term goals, but I think what you were sort of getting at in the first part of what you said is knowing yourself and understanding what your long-term goals are. We actually start the book off with a section. It's it's broken into five sections. So it's life, job search, career, health and relationships, and personal finance. And the first chapter is knowing your foundation. And so answering those questions, you know, we build buildings from the foundation up, the base up, and that's really how we need to build our lives and to do so actively with those values in mind. So think before you can even set goals, especially long-term ones, you have to know what those that foundation is. What do you stand for? What do you believe in? And make decisions with that as your compass. Totally. Um, yes. And then when we talk about short-term goal setting, I think this is when you get to the workplace, what's really, really important. We talk a lot about 
just the little steps you can take to make sure that you accomplish your goals and actually do them. And one thing that we talk about a lot is just the need to write down your goals. So there was a study conducted on adults in the workplace, and they were from 23 years old to actually 72 years old. And um, this was done very recently. And they found that 76% of workers achieved their goals when they wrote them down versus only 43% of people who didn't record them or share them with someone else. And so it feels like a little thing, but just putting your goal down, whether it's even just in a checklist, a bulleted list, writing it somewhere on your phone, and then especially taking the next step to share it with someone, you Mm -hmm. are way more likely to accomplish it. So just something really little like that research has proven can be super effective. And research has also showed that when you complete your goals and you can check them off a list, that it leads to obviously things beyond just getting your tasks done. So you're going to have increased satisfaction, increased self-confidence, increased independence, increased further motivation just by getting these tasks done, checking it off a list. And I always say I, I still like writing my goals down by hand and I'll put it on my computer so that I cannot ignore it. Like every time I turn on my computer, they're just there like, yep. this is what you need to get done today. And so those little steps can make such a big difference. Great advice. So really thinking about it from a long-term perspective and a short-term perspective and starting from making sure that you understand your values, I think is so important why were you put on this earth? In the book, you mention a Mark Twain quote that I love. You know, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and then the day you find out why. I thought that is a great way to, you know, really get you started in the right direction on your career. But then at the same time, you know, you can change your mind on a lot of things. Um, You know, your core values probably are, like you said, they're foundational. They're not going anywhere. But you know, other aspects, you can always make a, a, a shift if some of your short-term goals change. Absolutely. I mean, who could have predicted even what the last two years have thrown our way with this pandemic and how it's changed the workspace and people's personal lives? Your goals should have shifted or, or something. something's wrong there, right? So as the world changes, our lives change, we need to reevaluate, you know, if we're doing what we still want and what makes us happy. Yeah. A great reminder to circle back around to these goals on a regular basis to make sure they're still uh, pointing you in the direction that you want to go. The other area that a lot of us talk about, whether it's in career or other areas, is about following your passion. And uh, that kind of comes back to, you know, this goal setting piece as well. But at the same time, you know, sometimes it's about, you know, how do you know when it's time to leave as well. And we've all heard, especially starting with the millennials, that there's no lifetime employment anymore. It's just bouncing on to the next one. So, you know, talk about that aspect of, you know, career management. Yeah. So what's really interesting and, you know, my dad working in executive recruiting always talks about how he's placing people who make seven, eight figure salaries but are miserable sometimes. So you talk to these people that want 
more, but they're not happy or know why they're doing it. And the ones that are always the most successful that can stay with companies longer that do well are the ones who love what they're doing. Um, and well, it also comes back to that foundational piece too. So right. again, you just can't ignore those values and how important that is. Right. You're going to be more successful when you love what you're doing. And, you know, we spend almost more hours at work in our lifetime than anywhere else. So it has to be purposeful to you or you're going to be a very unhappy person. And so something that we try to talk to all young adults about, but just people in general is following your passion and finding a way to monetize it. And then really understanding if there are certain qualities about a job or a role, but that's not where you can make your career, understanding what it is about what you do that you love and how that can be transferable. So for example, if you've always loved being part of a community, you know, you might have loved being part of your soccer team, but you can't be a professional soccer player. Like what is it about soccer that makes you come alive? Is it the fact that you're on your feet all the time? Is it the fact that you're working with a a group to get something done? And then does that mean maybe you want to be part of, I don't know, whether it's a sales team or like figuring out the transferable skill there, but also knowing when it is time to pivot and if a job is too toxic for you is, is really important. You don't want to bounce around, right? You need resume continuity. You need to grow places and and set goals and accomplish them. But sometimes you're just planted in the wrong soil and you need a new garden to blossom in. And that's something that I actually went through and came across as I was writing this book with my dad. I realized that I've been doing it wrong for a really long time. And so I had been in public education and I stayed there because, you know, I had always said I I have a a master's in education. I have a degree in economics. I have a degree in English. I went to Lehigh University and I was always resisting going into teaching because I wanted to prove, you know, society didn't really think that teachers were smart. I wanted to prove that I could do more. But I finally went with my heart. And I, I, I dove all in on teaching and then I'm in this environment where I was really unhappy. And so I didn't want to admit that to myself because I wanted to make it work. And this was supposed to be my dream. But I had a really hard time when uh, the system right now feels very broken. There's a lot of work that we need to do in public education. Everyone was telling me to stay because I had a pension. I had tenure, great health benefits, but it never, it didn't feel right when I was waking up Every day I was driving to a job with a pit in my stomach because I didn't know when, you know, the next thing would be cut or the next um, call would come that we have to do piles of paperwork just to then get in the classroom with a new theory. So I left my job in the middle of writing this book and found a new place for me to go that aligned with my values. And I ended up at a Quaker um, school that it's... um, the, the it's half international students that board here. So we have a really diverse community and half day students. And we have flexibility to put programs in place that work and that um, students love. But most importantly, they support their teachers here. And I took a pay cut, but I am so happy. And it's actually opened doors for me that I didn't even realize I wanted or could be open. I'm, I'm consulting now as well on the side. And um, 
I think just recognizing that I wasn't happy, not even necessarily knowing 100% what the next step would look like, but knowing what I needed to find in a workplace, it, it changed everything because I had to take that leap of faith. And it's really scary to do, but it's life changing because no job deserves to take your happiness away from you. That's that's yours at the end of the day and you need to really value it. Yeah, you need to value it. You need to listen to what your body's telling you. If you're driving to work with a pit in your stomach, then that's not a good way to be spending your day from a physiological standpoint. And it's also your choice to figure out how you fix it. So it's um, it, on on both sides of it. How do you own uh, what you're feeling and then and recognize that, but then also make a change. So good for you for following your heart in both directions there. Yeah. Another area that um, you talk about in the book is uh, dealing with failure, bouncing back and, you know, moving forward. Obviously, the last couple of years have given us lots of opportunity to reimagine ourselves. Um, you know, I think there's a, the the younger, uh, what do we call the Gen Z that is your target audience in this book, you know, there might be some uh, stereotypes that, oh, these people have been, you know, kind of coddled throughout a lot of high school. So they don't really know what it's like to fail. What's, what do you say to that? And how, uh, what, what advice do you have for, you know, dealing with the curveballs that life is going to throw you? Absolutely. I think even those of us in our 30s experienced this same thing of what I call, and especially, you know, in our target audience, you're interviewing very high achieving women. Um, when I was listening to your podcast, I think we're all very used to success. And so what happens is when success comes maybe easily, and we don't get to practice responding to failure, we don't, we don't develop what's called your resilience muscle. And so being able to bounce back is a muscle that you can grow, but takes practice. And so a lot of people, when you're high achieving, you might not even come across your first real failure until you're in the workplace. And if you've always been successful and you don't know how to deal with that, it can be soul crushing. And so I always say you need to really take the moments of failure and make sure you're purposeful about them because otherwise they will destroy you. But a lot of listeners, if you are women and you are mothers, what we see is happening with us as parents now, these high achievers, we are what is termed lawnmower parents. So the generation before us was referred to as helicopter parents, where they'd kind of float above you and make sure they're watching everything you do. Um, and now we seem to be lawnmower parents, which is we are mowing the lawn and making the path as smooth as possible so that our kids can just walk right through. Um, and so we're trying to take the potholes away for them so that they don't fail. Um, and what's happening is then they're not growing this resilience muscle. And so I have to repeat to myself, I know with my son, like I'll be gritting my teeth, like let him fall, let him fall, let him fall. We'll figure this out. And I have to just watch it happen. And as a high achiever, um, myself, anytime there's like a little hiccup, just want to jump in and, and fix it. But it's so important that us and our children just embrace those failures as 
opportunities to try again with more information um, and reframing how we look at failure because there's really no success without failure is so important. But I, I think we also have to look at resilience as a muscle that takes time to build. It's hard. Right. Well, first of all, I have never heard the term lawnmower parent, but I love it. <laughs> yes. I, I wasn't sure if you were going to go in the direction of like chopping off the heads. <laughs> yes. So I wasn't sure where that was going, but I love it in terms of preparing the path. In Brene Brown's new book, uh, Atlas of the Heart, she talks about the importance of preparing the child for the path not the path for the child. And I thought that was a brilliant way to frame exactly what you're talking about. I love it. And it's a great reminder for those of us as parents that we want to create the opportunity for our kids to learn. And the best way to learn is from failing. And whether that's in life or in the workplace, um, you know, someone I remember hearing say, you know, if, if I'm not failing, then I'm not trying hard enough. Yeah. And and I'm not uh, putting myself out there enough. So, um, you know, making sure that not only as parents and, you know, uh, that that we're thinking about this, but, you know, from the individual where it really is that it's okay, uh, because that's the other piece is that some of the young people might also feel like that, you know, it's the end of the world if things don't work out. But the reality is, and here's another uh, good piece of advice that um, I got from that Brene Brown book is, um, you know, how will I feel about this in five minutes, in five months, in five years? And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, most things you won't even remember in five years. Yeah, it's, it's so true. And honestly, like a pothole free life is is non-existent. Life throws us curveballs. So we might as well learn to start embracing them because it's it's going to happen. And I still find myself resisting failure whenever I can. And I just think, you know, the more we can embrace it and, and wear it as a badge of honor um, mm -hmm. and just say like, hey, I mess up and I'm going to learn from it and move on is, is just a really valuable and some thing to do and something that I look up to in people who do that. Yeah. That's a, a great point. So I think you have a great focus there. So now that we're in this new hybrid work environment, there's a lot of talk these days about how awesome remote working is. A lot of companies are embracing it a lot more than they ever thought they would. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's great. It's great for employees to have flexibility. And at the same time, especially for people new in a career, there's challenges with remote work in terms of uh, building relationships, learning how to work in a professional environment. How do you make sure that you get the right exposure, especially if you want to grow in your career? So talk to us about what you're recommending how young people entering the workforce right now should be thinking about remote work. Sure. So what's interesting is before the pandemic even started, a survey came out that showed that turnover is actually 50% less for remote workers than in-person employees. And there was a Stanford study that found that remote employees produced one full day's work more a week 
than their in-office counterparts. So it's interesting to think about why, but I think it's actually starting to make sense for companies, and they realize this during the pandemic, to embrace remote working because there is something very effective about people who work from home. And you would think it's it sounds counterintuitive because, you know, I've always said, are you working remote or remotely working? Like, what are you really getting done when you're there? And it, there are obstacles working from home, but it can be a really great thing. And so, you know, our book outlines a bunch of different, we actually have 10 kind of tips for working remote and how that can help you. But we obviously put number one at setting your boundaries because you can have work-life balance, a little bit more working from home, but ultimately the opposite can occur. So some people either work all the time then because work has come into their home or they don't work enough. And so you have to create your work hours and your personal hours and really stick to those. So it might mean telling your partner that they can't come in when you're on calls or they can't come in at all. Or your children must respect your privacy when the door is shut. But setting up those those pieces in your home to, to keep the boundaries and also checking in with work often, especially if you're new in your career. But at any point in your career, if you're not seeing your colleagues daily, it's really possible that you could be on different pages when you're working on a project together. So if you want to avoid unnecessary work, doing duplicate work, you should be asking questions, checking in, even though you're not physically together. And it also helps you fight starting to feel isolated. You want to make sure you're cultivating a presence, even though you're not physically there. So cultivating a presence within your company, if you're remote, is what's going to help you get recognition and raises and promotions. So if there are in-person gatherings, go to those. It might get really easy when you work from home to kind of just stay and not go to the in-person events. But make sure you're there. Join the company retreats. Attend the office holiday party. Physically show up when it's important and make the personal connections. And otherwise, you'll end up getting overlooked. Um, And remote relationship building does take some creativity. Uh, Instead of bringing someone a coffee, you might consider buying them one by sending them a $5 Starbucks gift card. Like, hey, I want you to go get yourself a coffee today. Um, You might want to mail a card rather than leaving a post-it note on someone's desk to say like, I really enjoyed the talk you gave. So it just takes a little more creativity. Organize a birthday call to celebrate someone's birthday rather than all meeting up. Like still make time for that so that you cultivate that presence. I can't emphasize enough what you were just saying around that cultivating a presence. And the most important thing around all of that is that you just have to be intentional about it. With the office, it's easy to stop by, you'll run into people. You know, so in the case of remote work, you're not going to have those impromptu situations. So you have to intentionally create the opportunities to connect. And uh, and, and so it, it just takes more planning. But hey, you don't have the commute. So you have a little bit of time for that. Exactly. It's a trade-off. You also, because you're not in the office and running into people, you're not getting live feedback either. It's easy for your boss to stop by or someone else to just quickly tell you something when you're in the office. So you also have to be intentional about clarifying the expectations. You're not going to see your boss's face while they're reviewing your work. You can't read the social cues as much when you're presenting a finding. So 
be intentional about clarifying guidelines and expectations. Knowing the technology is really important. If you have a video conference to do or presentation to give and you want it to go seamless, make sure you know how to share the screen and have that all down. Invest in the culture. You're not physically there, so it can feel difficult to understand company culture from home, but it isn't impossible. You know, some companies, I know my husband's company, they hold digital uh, happy hours. They have company-wide calls. They, you can make a tradition such as a Monday morning coffee and, and join those events. So whatever the company does, embrace their culture and follow your boss's lead on how to communicate. If they send an email and they think bitmojis are funny or memes, like maybe just embrace that. So see how they're digitally connecting and invest in that culture. Always meet your deadlines because if your work's subpar or late, the assumption's going to be that you're not working enough because you're not there and they can't see you. So you have to be very intentional about that. Communicate and then communicate some more. When you don't see your colleagues in person, like the misunderstandings happen a lot more easily. Communicate. Don't be impulsive with your communication. You can react to an email very quickly and emotionally. You need to learn to, to sit on the digital communication a little bit more. I always recommend to people as well following a schedule and practicing self-discipline so that you don't waste time. In an actual office, you get these external cues your boss walking by your cubicle, you're like, okay, got to get back on task. At home, you don't have those same cues. So if you have a specific time that you sign on every day, a scheduled break, a specific time that you shut down, like that, that will really help you. And um, the last thing is just to always be professional because when you're home, it might be really easy to be in your pajamas, but you need to still dress the part. You need to again, cultivate that that presence and still, you know, have the the professionalism that you would in person. That's so true. And I think that a lot of people, especially early days in the pandemic, it was like, okay, well, I'm home, I don't need to do anything. And quickly, I realized I need to be putting makeup on every day, I need to be making sure I mean, I might be in yoga pants or uh, slippers. But, uh, but, you know, from the top up, I'm, uh, I, I look as professional as you would find me in the office. And I think that's important, especially if you're wanting to demonstrate that you, uh, you mean business, uh, so to speak, as you're growing in your career, that you're uh, taking things seriously. Right. And I don't know if you've home. seen this, but, you know, I have heard stories, people lose the job when they don't wear a tie. Because they feel like, oh, I'm interviewing over, you know, video. Like, I don't need a tie on. And I know people who haven't given the job because they're interviewing someone who's not taking it seriously and not putting the tie on. So it can it can really impact you and, and people's impressions as well. Yeah. And that's something that I know you bring up is you, you can never go wrong by overdressing. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that you mentioned uh, that I'll, I'll just uh, bring up uh, about, you know, Uh, having that relationship with your manager and communicating with your manager. Uh, You have a great chapter on uh, kind of managing your manager and how do you make your manager look really good? That's a really good way to be noticed and be appreciated. So I'll uh, put that little shout out. Okay. So two, two uh, final questions that I want to focus on kind of top tips. So 
Tell me out of 68 chapters that you have, and, and everybody, these are very short chapters, so don't be intimidated by that, but 68 chapters, what is the top advice that people seem to resonate with? So we like to call it 68 tips because they are very short. They're digestible. So the biggest uh, feedback we're getting, and when we first came out, the book first came out, it was the number one book in the interviewing section. So there's five chapters on what we call the five-step interview process. And my father has trained everyone from CEOs to 15-year-olds on this same process. But a lot of people believe that interviewing is an art, but it's really a science. And there are some very black and white ways to interview correctly and prepare yourself. And so we have a roadmap for the five steps of what you should do while you're at an interview. And none of those five steps are actually answering the questions. We cover that in a separate part. You think interviewing is just how you answer the questions you're asked, but there's all of these other things that you need to do. And we're getting very positive feedback about that and changing people's lives because to be able to have opportunities, you need to be able to interview well. And to go in to an interview with confidence is a really big deal. So great feedback there. So uh, to, to wrap things up, for people early in their career, what do you suggest as your top career tip to share with people? So bouncing off that, I would say become an A plus interviewer so that you can get as many opportunities as possible so that you get to be the one to make the decision yes or no you need to have the opportunities and you need to be able to interview well and, and win over your interviewer and, and we can help you do that. And also just don't get stuck when you're young. Sometimes it feels like take what you can get, but you also need to know when a place is right for you or wrong. Wonderful. Well, this is fantastic feedback and people can find the book on Amazon and other booksellers. It's called Grad to Grown Up. Any other information that uh, you can share with people? So everything's on our website as well, and there's free downloads there. So gradtogrownup.com. It's G-R-A-D-T-O-G-R-O-W-N-U-P.com. And we would love to hear from you too. So reach out. You can email us at gradtogrownup at gmail.com. And uh, we'd love to help you and hear your feedback. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Courtney. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Take Control of Your Career with Lauren Herring. Be sure to check the show notes for our guests' information. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show so that you don't miss an episode. Want to get control of your career now? Visit www.earnyourworthcareers.com. You can get your own career coach or download a free ebook on best practices to ask for a raise.